Good morning, church, both here in the building and online. Uh, Each week I think about how wonderful that is, that we are able to not only be here, but we also encompass those that are online. Well, before we start, get into the message today, I also want to say happy Father's Day out there. Um, One thing that crosses my mind, not only on Father's Day, but uh, other times as I think about uh, the kids that my father have, um, I mean the father that my kids have, (laughs) gosh, I hope the whole message doesn't go like that. (laughs) But I think about when our kids were little, and when I needed to go away for a weekend to go visit family or friends or go to a conference or whatever, our kids would get so excited because when I was gone, it was fun weekend because dad was in charge. And when Keith had to go away somewhere for the weekend, everything was just the same. And so there was no... So I'm thankful for all the things that dads bring uh, to families. And I also want to acknowledge, uh, I know that some of you here today, that your dads have gone home to the Lord. Some of you recently, and uh, I know that there can be that ache. So I want to acknowledge that um, today too. So anyway, dads out there, on my list, you are right up there with the moms. So you're not number 18. So you're number two is with Christmas being first, of course. Um, Today we are in week number two of our three-week series entitled Puzzled, When God Doesn't Seem to Fit. And last week, if you were with us, you looked at how God's ways can be hard to understand, and we looked at our responses uh, to this puzzling life. We looked at how we can run away from God, how we can deny and try to make God fit into our puzzle, or we can tremble and trust knowing that Jesus helps us uh, understand the why of suffering. And that Jesus is the puzzle piece who completes the entire puzzle. And as we continue to work on our own little personal puzzles, we think of the grandeur of that larger puzzle from God's point of view and how trust um, is what the corner pieces and the edges are in that uh, puzzle, the God, his big puzzle. So thank you also for those of you that have connected with me this last week and have shared uh, those puzzling things that are in your life and the times that I've had to have prayer time with you and laugh with you too about some of those things. But guess what? I have another survey for you this week. And those of you online, you may want to wait until I've said one, two, or three before you respond uh, in the chat. So this morning, let's see a hand. In the house here, how many of you have voiced in your life at some point, it's not fair? Okay, there's there's hands out there. Number two, how many of you have heard the kids in your life, either your kids, your grandkids, or the neighborhood kids, say, it's not fair? All right. Number three. If you have experienced both, raise both hands. All right, all right. Why does it seem sometimes like people don't get what they deserve? Fairness is hard to fit into the puzzle of life. When we're kids, 
Fairness is making sure that you have the same number of raisins as the people around you, or the same number of pieces of fruit as the people around you at the table, or you all have the same number of chocolate chips in the chocolate chip cookie, or you get to go to bed at the same time as your oldest sibling. Or when you are four years old, you are entitled to a phone because everybody else in the world has one, right? Then as we graduate into adulthood, we not, may not be as vocal about something not being fair. But oh, our minds go there, don't they? When there's an unexpected health issue or a family member or friend is melting down over something or we have a child who doesn't know the Lord or there's a financial crisis an emotional trauma or your best friend betrays you or there's an attack on your faith in some way or there's job loss or you have been going to a graduate school to help you with your job and you go to uh, work one week and you find out that the promotion that you were trying to better yourself for goes to the person who's in the cubicle next to you. And that unfair feeling comes up inside of you and you whisper to yourself, it's not fair. There are also numerous examples in the word of God regarding life not being fair. And I think one of my favorites comes from the Old Testament in the story of Joseph. Joseph was a favorite son who had this ornate robe. He was despised by his brothers. He was thrown in an empty well. He was sold as a slave. He was taken to Egypt. He was sold to the captain of the guard Potiphar. He was a household slave. He was falsely accused. He was thrown into prison. He gets out of prison. He's second in command in Egypt. And he's in charge when his brothers come to buy grain. And then... Joseph weeps because he listens to their appeal. Revenge was the last thing on Joseph's mind. And he says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God, he intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And an example from the New Testament that I thought might have had a question of fairness was when Ananias was told by God to go to Paul after Paul had had his encounter on the road to Emmaus. And if you know Paul, you know that he was killing believers. And this is conjecture here on my part, but I wonder, did Ananias whisper to himself, it's not fair. You know, there are so many examples of questions of fairness in the word of God. And sooner and later in life, we conclude that life is not fair and have more of an Old Testament mindset. It's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and we'll love our neighbor um, and hate our enemies. But Jesus, in his words on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 20, tells us, do not resist an evil person, and you are to love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. But why is it, why is that sense of fairness so strong in each one of us? And this morning I'd like to propose two reasons for that. First of all, we are born with a sinful nature and we're so self-focused. 
Recently, I had the opportunity to gaze upon a newborn. And wow, they are so, they smell so good and they make all these wonderful sounds. But guess what? They're pretty self-focused, are they not? They're only concerned about their own needs. And guess what? Our culture feeds into that also. At our Women's uh, Wednesday Bible study this past week, our DVD speaker, uh, Kelly Minter, shared that the pastor of her church, Pastor Jim, reminded them of the fact that we used to have a magazine that was titled Life. Remember the magazine Life? Well, then it went to the magazine People. Then it went to Us. And now it's called Self. Imagine that, quite a transition. And then she reminded us about how we also have the Keurig, which can give us that individualized cup of brew just the way we like it. Well, I know how much many of you in this room and online like your brew, so I'm not even going to go there this morning. I'm not even going to touch that. But the second reason I propose is that we are created. We are created in the image of our Father. And one of his characteristics is that he's just. So no wonder we have that sense of justice. The puzzle of life is not fair, but God is. He is fair and just. So let's define fair and just. The Bible dictionary defines fair as its freedom from bias, dishonesty, or injustice. To be fair is to be just. That is, to be guided by truth reason, and justice. God's character compels him to always, always act justly. And we read in Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. His throne is founded in righteousness and judgment. He knows what's right. He sees what's right. He does what's right, and his judgments are always according to righteousness, even when they don't seem to fit or seem like they're fair as we try to put our life puzzle pieces together. We all, every single one of us, want to be treated fairly. Some people think that if we do our best and are a good person, that God will deal with us fairly on Judgment Day. But Jesus taught that God doesn't operate according to our notion of what fair is. And I think there's one parable that expresses that. In the parable that Jesus told, there's a story about a man that owned a vineyard. And early in the morning, he went out to hire workers to work in that vineyard. And he agreed with each and every one of them to pay the full day's wages as they started. And then about 9 o'clock... He saw some others doing nothing, and he told them, hey, come on, you can work for me too, and I'll give you a fair wage, and so they went to work. The same thing happens at noon, and again at three in the afternoon, and guess what? It happens again toward the end of the workday, around five o'clock. He finds some more people standing around, and he says, why have you been standing around all day here? I can hire you, and you can go into the vineyard, and when you're done, I'll pay you. So when evening comes, he calls his foreman forward, and he orders him to pay all the workers that have been in that vineyard for the day. And he asked to him to start with those that he hired last. So for their hour or so of work, they received the full wage. And so did everyone else, including those that started way early in the morning. Everyone received the full wage for the day, no matter how long they had worked. 
And guess what? Those who started early in the morning, they complained. This isn't fair, they thought, that they got paid the same wage as those who had only been there an hour. They really thought that they should get more. It's not fair. But this is what the owner of the vineyard said to them. I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me to be hired for a denarius? You got the amount that we agreed upon. In essence, the owner said, if I want to give you the same wage of someone who didn't work as much as you did, isn't that my business? Would you have been one of those if you had worked all day long that you would have complained? God doesn't operate on the fairness system that we do. And so for just a moment, I want you to ask yourselves this question. Was it fair that Jesus had to go to the cross? Was it fair that he took my sin, that he took your sin, all that sin, past, present, and future, he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might know the righteousness of God. Jesus, the center puzzle piece of God's grand puzzle, makes the difference in how we put the puzzle piece of fairness together in our life. God deals with us according to his free grace. In Ephesians we read, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift from God, not by works that anyone can boast. So not only is the throne mentioned in Psalms a throne of righteousness and justice, but for the unbeliever it is all, and all of us, it's a throne of grace, since it represents God's mercy and grace to each and every one of us. And we also see in the book of Hebrews that it's a throne that we can approach with confidence and find grace to help us in those times when we're struggling with fairness. Do you have that relationship with Jesus so that you can confidently, confidently go to his throne of grace? Just as we heard in the parable of the landowner of offering everyone the same pay, God gives everyone the same offer of salvation. In fact, in Acts, Peter shares, I now realize that it's true. God doesn't show any favoritism. So are you ready? Are you ready to take up God on his offer to you? Right now, I want us to pause for a moment and ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and Repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, sorry that I've sinned against you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Send your Holy Spirit to live in me. Today I say yes to following you. Amen. With your head still bowed, and your eyes closed, if you receive Jesus' invitation to be a part of your life for the first time or you're willing to go deeper with him in regards to the issue of fairness and putting that puzzle piece together with him in your life, would you please raise your hand? 
Thank you, Jesus. Okay, you can open your eyes and lift your heads. Uh, for those of you who raised your hands, I want you to invite you to stop at the blue table. After the service, there will be someone there that will be able to talk with you about next steps in your relationship with Jesus, or if you have something regarding fairness or anything else that you would like prayer over, um, there will be someone there to pray that with you. For those of you online, you can go to RedeemerMN.org uh, forward slash either next steps uh, for if you've just received Christ, or you can go to prayer uh, slash prayer if you have something that you would like prayed over. Um, we love, prayer is so foundational here at Redeemer, and so we love to have those opportunities to pray for you and with you. So as our life pieces, puzzle pieces keep coming together, the Lord calls each of us to reflect to him those things to those that are around us in three different ways. And we're going to go into Micah 6.8 for that. Our life puzzle pieces, as they come together, we are asked to act justly. You know, in Micah's time, to act justly would have been understood to have a sense of right and wrong, meaning doing the right thing, not referring to keeping the law necessarily perfectly, but living with honor and integrity in everyday life. And as you look at the original language, the word for doing justice is meshbot, to do no unrighteousness in judgment, that which is just, lawful, and according to the law, justice making people whole again. It's really an outward action for each and every one of us. It's just not acknowledging that things are not as they should be, as an observation or knowing the difference between right and wrong. But this is what it is. It's living it out. It's living it out in your life. It's moving forward in your workplace, in your homes, and at Redeemer, and even in living it out with yourself. It's setting your hearts on what is just and consistently moving in that direction. It's really loving your neighbor as yourself. Secondly, we're called to love mercy. And as we look at the original language there for Shazed, it's zeal toward anyone, benevolence among individuals, mercy and pity to those with misfortunes. You know, there again, it's an action. It isn't simply just being perceived as being that kind person. I know if I had sat down with each of you, you would tell me who the most kind person is in your life because you see it written all over them and what they do. And it's not taking action that is kind to do something. I know many of you here and online do kind things for individuals in your life every day, but it's to love mercy means to pursue them, to actually pursue them in a way that shows them that your heart is for them on a personal human level. It's not in just the doing that you have that connection. And God does expect us, does he not, to love in that manner to everyone around us, the way that he has loved us. And as we look at 1 Corinthians 13, we see that definition for love. It's being patient, kind, not envying, not boasting, not being proud. It's not, <clears throat> it doesn't dishonor others. Love isn't self-seeking. 
It's not easily angered. It doesn't keep a record of the wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And it always, always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. And we are to be kind and forgiving, even, even when someone is guilty. This was brought to my mind this week as I recalled a time when my children were ages eight and five years old. Keith had gone to work, and I had gone out for a short walk. And uh, as my children were home alone, an individual broke into our home. And um, it was a process for me in getting over uh, forgiving in my thoughts regarding that individual. Uh, I was able to reach a point by the grace of God that I was able to forgive him and also um, to pray for him. But that journey was puzzling for me. There were so many feelings of violation that someone had been in our home, that someone had strategically placed my husband's golf clubs to use as a weapon against our children. And so there were all these things that I wrestled around with inside. And so we ended up going through a trial in regards to that. And um, this individual ended up having to face the consequences of that act. And he did end up serving time. But the reason I share that story with you in my journey of processing through that is that sometimes as we process fairness in our life, we think that we should be able to get to that point of forgiveness right away. But I'm here and I stand before you to tell you that so often God works in our lives in process. And I think that he has a purpose and a meaning in that. Because as we go through the process, we continue to get more and more conformed into his image and we can express that loving kindness and walk in that uh, in our lives. So whoever you are today here in the building or online that needs to hear that that just doesn't happen, that it's a process, take that away from the Lord today. And lastly, we're to walk humbly with God. There again, as we look at the original language for Sanaa, it's to act submissively and modestly. And it really is an inner and an outer action. It's living from a posture that doesn't just have that inner peace, but it's walking in it in your daily life. It's being submitted to God and allowing him to guide your posture in humility. In short, it's loving him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and your strength. So as you continue to try to maybe jam that puzzle piece of fairness from your perspective together in your own personal puzzle, I want you to know that God has all those puzzle pieces put together in his grand puzzle. And he calls us to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with him. So one more final question for you this morning as you keep trying to figure out that fairness in your life.
If you are not walking humbly with him, acting justly in loving mercy, why is that? And I'll let you have time with him to answer that puzzling question for you. So with that, I invite you to stand and extend your hands as I pray a benediction over you today as you continue to tremble and trust in this amazing God who is so faithful and loves you so much. May you be a reflection of Jesus everywhere that you go. And may you act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And together, all God's saints said, Amen. Amen. Happy Father's Day and have a wonderful week.